0: Enter David E.B. Now in our province of British Columbia, currently the New Democratic Party is is in power. There is going to be an election coming up in the fall here. And the current leader of the New Democratic Party has said that he's not going to run. <laughs> the front the front runner of that is David E.B. And David Eby, first of all, comes from a background of one of the, you know, certainly in, in the last 20 years, the the consistent voice that you heard as an advocate for the downtown East side, for social programs, for social justice was David Eby. He was the head of the uh, Pivot Legal Society, which was a legal advocacy group primarily out of Vancouver, but I think provincially. And now he has—he was the minister of housing in British Columbia or has been. And now he has stepped forward as the certain front runner, almost sh- a sure thing to lead the, the uh, new Democrat party which is the left-leaning party of our province, the more socialist party of our province. Here's what David said this week. This is out of the Vancouver Sun. When someone overdoses twice in a day and they show up in the emergency room for the second time, a second overdose in the same day, the idea that we release the person back out into the street to overdose for the third time and to die or to have profound brain injury or just to come back to the emergency room again seems bizarre. He said in, in the Okanagan on a leadership campaign stop. Currently under our system, the intervention can only come once they've seriously brain injured themselves through an overdose. We need to have better interventions that could include and should include involuntary care for people who make, to make sure that they at least have a chance. EB acknowledged the gaps in addictions treatment system in which people try to get into detox or supportive housing. Then they face long waits, but for some folks they're never going to seek treatment. So we're just going to need to do our best to give them a chance to survive.
1: (laughs) So you're going to lock them up against their will for their own good. Yeah. That's the idea.
0: That's the idea. It says such an approach bears similarities between the controversial bill 22 introduced by the new Democratic Party in 2020, which would have forced youth to undergo seven days of treatment after an overdose. I remember that. I don't know if you do, Nathan.
1: I don't remember, but what I, what I know is that the second you add forced to treatment, it's no longer treatment.
0: So we have, we're kind of have a, a special background in this because we come from a, a profession or a population that kind of goes through has already been going through forced treatment, and or at least still... tre- treatment between a rock and a hard place. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. No, they uh, they they really put you in a position where it boils down to your career or your profession, depending on how valuable that is to you, or your freedom, right? Yeah. So it's autonomy or autonomy or your primary choice of a way to earn a living. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And
0: I think for anybody who has lost a loved one or lost a friend or whoever it may be, knows the heartache of saying, shit, I wish they could have been kept safe. I wish they could have, you know, when they were making this string of terrible life-threatening decisions, I wish someone could have intervened or questioning were they in their quote unquote right mind at the time? You know, Mm -hmm. that's another understandable question. Sure, But to me, I think the word involuntary is really frightening and harkens back to fascist policing and a potential abuse of power. I think that it will, for the population who is still actively using drugs and using opiate, it will push people back into those homes. And based on the statistics that we just read, 56% of people who die, die because they're inside and maybe that means they're alone. Well, if you know that shit, if I overdose out here, I'm going to go into involuntary treatment. If the police come and find me, or if the ambulance comes and gets me and they're going to wrangle me into forced treatment, I'll go inside. How he does not see the direct correlation with the statistics released by the coroner service. Maybe he
1: does, you know, maybe these are the type of conclusions that one eventually has to come to. Or at least entertain, right? I mean, does somebody who thinks that that's a good idea, whenever you're talking about something that reduces individual freedom or autonomy, that is more important to me than life. If you take that away, you're heading towards 1984. And if that's the way that you want to uh, have your society, then I would rather not be a part of it. I want to live in a society where you're free to take risks. You're you're free to run your own affairs, and you know I, I understand what the guy's saying. If you get somebody who's coming back for uh, treatment again and again like that, maybe that's more of a sign of a endemic problem with the system than it is with that individual. And I'm not trying to say that 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 person has no accountability or no ability to make decisions. Lots of times there's what they call revolving door patients. I don't know if they still use that term, but in our mental health system, you get a lot of people who go into the hospital because there was a problem of some sort, either a a drug-related problem or like a violent offense or something because they weren't taking their medication because they don't like the way their medication makes them feel. They get stabilized on their medication in the hospital, then they get sent out again And it, uh, the, the cycle kind of repeats itself. So I think that loop, that revolving door loop that's going on in mental health is mixed into the cyclone of toxic drug danger. So you've got this kind of very difficult to handle from a ground level. You know, if you're the person in the hospital, who's trying to deal with that, you'd be like, geez, this is ridiculous. I understand why, where you'd be throwing your hands in the air. Of course.
0: But those revolving door patients who who are in sometimes multiple times a day or multiple times a week, or just even the people that we all sort of get to know, that is not exclusive to the drug using population either. You know, there are people with um, chronic diabetes, chronic lung conditions, certainly with mental health conditions.
1: That's a failure of our society to support the, the system that used to work. I mean, our healthcare system used to be envied, you know? Yeah. And it's being uh, it's being torn down, basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: So to me, it's fascinating, even as a as just what little I know about David Eby as a case study of a politician rising the ranks who forgets probably everything that he had of learned from his years of running a social advocacy legal group, <laughs> who went to bat for people uh, on the downtown east side, who went to bat for people experiencing homelessness. People in mm. addiction, and then as soon as you get a little bit of a taste of power, there's a there's a pretty big shift there.
1: The road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think uh, once people get that, they get in that position or into a position where they can they have knowledge of where you know they have knowledge of that lifestyle, that the way that that things work there, and. Maybe they were frustrated by the system many times. Now they finally got into a place where they're going to enact some, some good or, or try to do something altruistic and somewhere along the lines, what they had to do to get into that position changes them enough so that they, they forget what matters.
0: Yeah. You know, and we all have the right to live at risk in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And that is what this to me is about. I love the quote. I, re- I remember I first heard it in the movie Goodwill Hunting and it's by Henry Ward Beecher. Liberty is the soul's right to breathe and when it cannot take a long breath, the laws are girdled too tight <laughs> as an explanation for for what liberty, what freedom actually is.
1: I think we've just we've had it easy for too long. That's the problem here. We've had it pretty good in North America for long enough there's been enough generations now that that we are somehow we've replaced we've got safety over top of freedom and it's quite significantly overshadowing that now yeah and i don't think people think enough about what that means or what that could lead to and appears to be leading to with more expedition than i was (laughs) than I thought possible. So I, you know, we'll see what happens. You could say that as a general statement, or you could say that about the toxic drug crisis, but yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. I don't know. Do you think the NDP will, will have a shot at uh, getting back in? I mean, what if this is a bad time to be a politician, no matter what you're, what you're doing, right? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I, I think a lot of people gasp at his words this week. Um, And again, like I mentioned earlier, I I heard Garth Mullins on the CBC gasping at at that. Um, Okay, Well, that's good. And there is a reaction. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You want, you want a reaction from something like that. If those types of statements are just slipping by, then that's, that's a problem. Exactly. And that's why I think
0: it's good for us to just talk about it on here. And I think if people can have the, have the discussion and put that out and say like, is this really what, is that the kind of province we want to be living in where someone gets locked away i don't think so
1: yeah no that's a that's a systems failure it's got to be corrected at a systems level yeah